The scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It's found on page 977 in your pew Bible. Uh, before the word is read, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, so we may hear your word and act on your word. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word of God for the people of God. This portion um, of Ephesians, um, Paul is kind of giving reasons why we ought to uh, be eager to maintain um, the bond, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And it's interesting, there's no kind of lead-in, there's just suddenly a statement, one body, one Spirit, one hope. And actually, he lists out seven of these. And there's almost a sense of perfect unity that he's wanting us to understand. And wanted to um, um, just kind of step through these because if we take the, the scriptures in, in a larger section, we, we might just kind of bounce over these or skim over them without kind of sinking in for a And with all who profess Jesus as his, their Savior. Um, and so here is the grounding or the basis of us being eager to maintain um, the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Um, that is to say, when someone to him and, and they put their faith in him and trust in him and, and become a follower of Christ, they are now part of his church. And we, we are one and he is laying out the, what that oneness means. And the first one is, we are one body. Kind of makes sense. If there's one head, um, there's not multiple bodies. There's one body. So there's one um, um, group of us. And, and this is part of what he has been saying. And part of what he's trying to explain is that there's not a distinction of nationalities. There's not a distinction of, of different ethnicities and groups. Therefore, remember, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one, um, so that has made Gentile and Jew one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, we are one body. We are one in Christ. He's destroyed any division between us and has united us uh, to each other. Um, so th- that, that we are no longer um, separate groups, that we're, we're no longer primarily whatever our nationality, we're, whatever our allegiance is. Ultimately, we are in Christ, and there is one Christ. And so we recognize that there is one body. Moreover, there is one spirit. And spirit in my Bible is appropriately capitalized to remind us we're talking about one Holy Spirit, not one kind of um, mood or ethos of the church, that we we are one united in that one Holy Spirit. Um, Think about this. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in anyone who trusts in Jesus. If you have been baptized, you've been baptized in the Spirit, you are um, you have the Spirit dwelling in you. And, and you don't have a, a, like a chunk of the Spirit here and a portion of the Spirit there and more of the Spirit there. That It's the same one Holy Spirit that is at work in us, moving in us, dwelling in our hearts. And this Spirit is the Spirit that when you turn to Genesis 1 and read of the creation of all things that this Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. The Spirit that dwells in you is the Spirit that was at work in creation, calling forth all reality. That Spirit spoke through the holy prophets, that Isaiah and Jeremiah, as they got up and said, Thus saith the Lord, and the Holy Spirit revealed Himself through them. That's the same Spirit in you. That That... When Jesus was baptized and John <laughs> shows the, the dove, which is kind of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit there, and we hear the voice of the Father, that Spirit is in you. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles, empowered them to go and share the message and manifest His presence with them, that spirit is with you. That there, there, there's no separation. We are bound to that same spirit, and that Holy Spirit unites us. And, and so if you've had the experience that I've heard a few times when somebody comes and says after the message, you know, what we talked in Sunday school just seemed to have been completely carried on here. Or, or where you've said, hey, I was listening to somebody. I was doing a reading this week, and I come in, and in Sunday school, we covered something that just, you know, expanded that. Or, or where you, you've kind of had the experience where you've just heard the same message through several different ways. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is, is teaching you and guiding you and using all sorts of things where he's, he's leading someone to do something and someone else to do something else, the, the Holy Spirit is orchestrating the work of His church and the ministry of the church, and so that we who are united are also being bound together as the Spirit is at work in us. We are bound by that one Holy Spirit that has been through all history. One body, one spirit, one hope of our calling. You know, one of the reasons there's, there's just seemed to be so much division in the world today 
is we have so many different ideas of what makes for the good life. In other words, we, we have all sorts of different goals of what it means uh, to truly be a flourishing society or what it, what it truly means to be happy. Uh, so, some people think, you know, just where every person has unfettered liberty to whatever they think, declare, kind of make their own reality. We, we have others who understand that living according to God's, God's law and submitting ourselves to that is going to be ultimately far blessing. The arguments and division are because we have different ideas of what the state ought to be, and we have different understandings of, of what the, um, the government should do. We, we have differences because of we understand just very different ideas of reality, of, of what marriage ought to be, uh, of what all these things ought to be. And because we have these differences, we, we have lots of dis, d- division and disagreement. In other words, if people have a common vision of what is good and what we're hoping for, there's a unity in that calling. If we, we all understand and all have an agreement over the same thing and we're all headed in the same direction, there, there can be disagreement on how best to get there, but there's a unity in what we're headed for. And as Christians, we have a common calling. We have a common hope that is within us. That if you're truly trusting in Jesus, what you're looking for and what you're hoping for is the kingdom of God. That you're waiting for Jesus to come and to establish his perfect kingdom of peace and of perfect justice, of of his goodness. And what we're hoping for is the glory of the Lord to fill the earth. That our ultimate hope is not just in the things that we do and our own personal interest and the things here, but we're looking forward to a kingdom that is not of this world and a kingdom that is to come and the kingdom that will be where the kingdoms of this world ultimately do become, the kingdom of our Lord and Jesus, where every knee bends and every tongue confesses that He is Lord and that we see that there is a time that He comes and establishes His reign where there is no longer tears, there is no longer sorrow, and that we're hoping for his reign. And as we hope in this, and as my heart longs for that, and your heart longs for that, and and as believers all around the world are hoping for that, we're united and bound in that common hope and that common expectation of what we're waiting for. One body, one spirit, one hope, and one Lord. Just as there is one body, there is one head. Christ alone is head of the church. And whatever our allegiances are here, our ultimate allegiance is to the one we call our Lord. Division comes when we all want to be our own Lord, when we all want to decide for ourselves what we will do and what is right. Divisions creep in when... Everyone wants to be their own Lord, or worse yet, to be Lord over others. Not only to decide I'm going to do what I want to do, but I think I need to make other people do what I want them to do as well. And so here we see when we, you all, rather than trying to be our own um, king and have our own little thrones, or be our own queen and have our own little thrones, rather than that, if we are all bending our knee to Jesus, the one Lord, and we're all being obedient to the one Lord, 
We're all going in the same direction. We're all united around him. We hear his voice as he speaks to us through scripture. We bend our knee to him, and and whatever our desires are naturally, if we set those down and we follow Jesus, that brings unity. It's, It's like an army following the commands of one general. It's, it's like a, um, people listening to one command. He is our Lord, and as we follow him, as we are united. The example I've often used is one of the problems we have is we want to be our own Lord. We want to be our own center of gravity. And, you know, if you think about the, the way the solar system and the way the galaxies work, we, we don't have planets just driving into one another because they're all orbiting the sun. We all want to be the sun. <laughs> we all want everything orbited around us, and in our lives, we, we can crash into others. But if we're all around one Lord, there's, a, there's safety, there's security, there is unity. There is one Lord, there is one faith. He goes on to say that, that we're, we're united in our common faith. Now, faith can be you're, you're, you're trusting you know, the, the verb of, what, of, of trusting in something. You're, you're accepting this, you're believing it, you're resting in it you're, as we rest in Christ. But, but the Bible can also talk about faith as a content of things that we believe, um, the, the doctrines that we hold to, and that we are, it'll talk about holding to the words of faith. And the idea there is that Yes, we say we trust in Jesus, but there has to be an explanation of who Jesus is, who he is in relation to the Father, who he is uh, fully human. There's a content of what we believe, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that we can't just say, I believe in Jesus, and then make up the Jesus we want to believe. There's a certain content that has been handed on since the apostles, and that content is to be guarded, is to be handed on, and Paul is saying that 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 content we're united in. We confess it together, and in holding that, that is something else that unites us. Went to um, on a trip to to Israel my last year in seminary. I was so excited. I I knew it was going to be really neat to kind of stand in places where I knew Jesus was had been. I knew it was going to be exciting to be where I had seen the apostles. And one of the, and that was all really amazing and really neat, but one of the things that surprised me how moving and emotional it was was to go into so many of the ancient churches. We went into a church in Bethlehem. Um, it, it has an area where the door is so low you have to stoop in to go through to remind you of Jesus is humbling himself in the incarnation. It has these mosaics and and paintings. It has a room where the guy who translated the Bible originally into Latin long time ago did his translation work. We got to stand in that room. And that it, what weighed on me was the thought that I'm in this room, the church has been continuing for years and years and years. And there's a sense of this content that has been handed on. In other words, when we sang together Psalm 100, 
we have joined with God's people over thousands of years expressing the same praise. That's not something we made up two weeks ago. That is something that God's people have sung for millennia, and you're part of that. And in a minute, when we stand up, we're going to confess the same beliefs that brothers and sisters will be confessing today in China, in Canada, in Bolivia, and who have been expressing it for over 1,500 years. As we express the Apostles' Creed, we are sharing that one faith that has been handed on from Jesus through the Apostles for ages. One of the things about us having um, a confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, which is kind of the doctrinal statement of our church is, you know that as I preach Sunday after Sunday, it's the same thing that the content is the same thing that 200 years ago was held 300 years ago was held, that we have a document that says it's evidence that we've confessed the same faith. One of the promises I made at my very first sermon that I'm sure all of you remember is I promised I would not be original. The church of God holds one faith. There is no place for novelty. There, there's nothing to say that we're, we're, we've discovered a new truth because it is the one spirit, the one Lord giving us that one faith, and that unites us, the living and the dead throughout all the world. There is one baptism. We have this common covenant that we share in. Our new identity is that we have received the Spirit, that we've made these promises, and we've confessed the same faith, and so that we share in this one baptism that unites us. One of the things that when we, we baptize someone, part of what we do is we're also saying, remember, you were baptized. Just as you watch this, remember that was done to you, and remember that we are united in that, that we are that binds us together as we share this symbol, as we share this sacrament, as we share this work of the Spirit in our lives. Incidentally, that's one of the reasons that we do not rebaptize someone who joins us from another congregation or, or for someone who, you know, wants to be baptized. To, to, do, to do so would be to deny the other church's baptism, the validity of that congregation sacrament. It would would be to go against this and to say that you have a baptism and we have a baptism and our baptisms are different. There is one baptism and there is one God and Father over all, through all and in all. I think part of what Paul is doing is kind of what Jesus did in his prayer before he went to the cross when he said, Father, make them one even as we are one. He's reminding us that though it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though it is God over all, through all, and in all, it is one God. It is one Father. It is one over all. And that just as these three persons are united, we are to be united The same God who created us is the same God who redeems us, is the same God who is present with us now and who will bring about his kingdom. So a few points of this. One, our unity is a God-given reality. It's not something through our own efforts we make happen. There's times we can talk about doing church or being the church or that they're not, you know, a real church. 
And I, some of that has its place. I understand, you know, what, the, what it means. But there can be times that we take those as though the church is something we have made and that we do. And that unity is something that's created by our own efforts. Paul is not saying work really hard to be united. Paul is saying you are united. Work really hard to manifest it. Work really hard to keep that sense of unity that God has already declared. You are united with each other, not because you work really hard to do it, but because you are trusting in one Lord and you have shared a baptism. You are in one body. It is the reality that you have. It's not something in our own efforts we make. And so I, I think of ecumenical efforts, and I think of efforts of, of churches to try to get together, which has a good motive and a good thing, but I, I wonder if at times the conversations become more about what we do than about what God has done already. And if maybe our efforts to unite closer with other brothers and sisters is not done so directly by trying to hammer out differences and things, but indirectly by drawing closer to the Lord who makes us one. And the more I love him and the more I know him and the more I trust in him, the more I have a unity with brothers and sisters in other churches and other denominations and other parts of the world. The unity we have is made by God, not ourselves. And his whole point is that we live out of that reality not try to make it. Number two, as much as we, we need to understand this reality of, of the unity we have with brothers and sisters, in the time when we have, well, a Methodist church and us and Central Christian and Canaan Missionary Baptist, and we have all the congregations meeting and the reality of that, it can be easy for us to think of the church in the abstract and to think that real church is in the abstract and to look at the spiritual reality without seeing to, to manifest that unity requires us to be in the particular. In other words, I, 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 I grew up in a non-denominational chapel. It was a, a, you know, a group home for boys. And it made a lot of sense that you had different faiths, um, backgrounds, that we had just a non-denominational chapel where the gospel was proclaimed. It was, it was really good. But I, I remember thinking that somehow I was above the fray of denominational disagreements. And I, I kind of liked that idea. And then I, I realized that there is something about being part of a tradition and being part of a particular group, and being part of um, specific people, because otherwise it's really easy to be abstract, and it's really easy to maintain myself as an authority, but to, to kind of submit to others. C.S. Lewis, this was really helpful to me in his book, Mere Christianity, and in this book he's talking about what's the common things we believe, what's the basic things that all Christians hold in common. What's mere Christianity? He said, mere Christianity is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into that hall, I'll, I shall have done what I have attempted. But, it's not in the room, but it is in the rooms, not the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. 
The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. In other words, we hold to mere Christianity, but we have to be in a particular group of people. Whether that's, you know, whatever that is, you know, if we hold in common the common faith that we express in the Apostles' Creed, we have to find particular. That also means particular congregation, that we have to express it through actually making vows to one another, to living with real people. That, that means we get to enjoy the gifts others have. So as being a part of this fellowship, you get to enjoy uh, the gifts of the Ballards in worship. You get to enjoy the gifts of some really wise elders. It also means you have to deal with a pastor who goes on a rant about the media. You have to, you have to deal with maybe someone not, not pointing any directions who might can't sing. Into, you know, there, there's all sorts of things you might deal with where we have real sins and real difficulties, but we also have real blessings. And the only way we can live in true unity is to actually be united with other particular Christians and believers. And the reality of that is that that means being part of one group means you're not part of another, but you're not denying that they are believers. We live in some realities that to hold, um, uh, you know, that for one church to say that they believe they should be independent and another to say they need the oversight of other churches it's very hard to actually work out how you can live together, but they can still trust that one another know the Lord, are saved, and are united in the common faith. And so we become part of an actual body of believers for all the difficulties that has, but also all the blessings that has to realize that we are united with actual believers. Finally, number three, this is our a motive for missions and evangelism. If there is one Lord, we are going on a mission to call people to submit to that one Lord. If there is one body, for someone to be out of that body is without hope. So we call them into the body. We call them to baptism. We call them to um, the, the, the one faith that saves, we call them to share in this one hope. And so we realize anyone who is apart from this oneness, we call to submit to Christ, to trust in Him, and to receive His blessings, and to be part of this one family.